1: While White House aides and allies scrambled to walk back President Biden's comments suggesting Russian President Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power, the president said he wasn't walking back anything, remaining resolute in his comments, but offering a slight clarification. Number one, I'm not walking anything back. The fact of the matter is I was expressing the more outrage I felt toward the way Putin is dealing and the actions of this man, just just brutality of it half the children in ukraine i had just come from being with those families and uh and so uh, but i want to make it clear i wasn't then nor am i now articulating a policy change i was expressing the moral outrage that i feel and i make no apologies for it meanwhile at home the president sets his sights on his domestic agenda including raising rates on corporations and ultra wealthy americans in his 5.8 trillion dollar budget blueprint for this and more we'll bring in our panel National political correspondent for NPR, Mara Liason, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan, and former speechwriter for George W. Bush and AEI resident fellow, Mark Thiessen. Mark, it has been interesting to watch the White House um, on this back and forth uh, and this comment kind of heard around the world. They, they've had to walk back some things that the president then said it just wasn't a walk back.
2: Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you, I'm— I don't think there's anything wrong with what Joe Biden said. Uh, it, it was uh, it was ad libbed. It probably wasn't well planned. It should have been uh, it should have been more carefully executed. Uh, but the whole world wants to see a, the situation situation where Vladimir Putin is not the leader of Russia. It Doesn't mean that we're going to do it. it. Doesn't mean that we're going to invade Moscow or a regime change. And when the when when the president of the United States says something, that's U.S. policy. I mean, I remember in 2012 when Barack Obama ad libbed his red line for the, for the use of force in Syria saying that our red line would be the use of chemical weapons. That wasn't planned. That wasn't uh, that would, that was no one in the, the whole white house staff was caught by surprise, but they didn't suddenly put out a statement saying, uh, well, he didn't mean what he said. They said, well, you know, he didn't okay, mean he what he said. Though, he? <laughs> well, he didn't in action. He didn't really That's the scandal that he enforced. They didn't enforce the red line, but he, but they said, okay, now there's a red line. Jo, you know, they, what Joe, what they should have done. And if I was a, I was a white house speechwriter, I would have written a statement that basically said, look, what the president said was that Vladimir Putin is a war criminal who unlawfully invaded his neighbor, targeting innocent civilians uh, with banned weapons as a result he's a pariah. And it's up to the Russian people to decide who their president is and they should release Alexei Navalny and have free elections so they can make that choice. But as long as Putin is the president of Russia, his nation is going to be a rogue state that's not going to be is going to be shunned by the civilized world. That's not hard. That would have been a statement of strength it, it, it enhancing what Biden said, but clarifying also that, You know, the United States isn't going to remove Putin from power. The Russian people need to do that.
1: But, you know, Mara, they've been so so reticent to do something like that, to to go up against the line. They've said they don't want to do provocative things. That's why they didn't want to send the MiG-29s into Ukraine. They thought it would be too provocative. And yet the president did say what he said. He has called Putin a, a war criminal. It seemed clunky the way they dealt with this.
4: I think it was awfully clunky, and especially because later he said, of course, he doesn't take back a single thing. This is his moral outrage. And look, Joe Biden has made gaffes his entire career. Uh, You can understand what he said. He feels that Putin is a butcher, that he would like him to be removed from power, even though that's not, as the White House hastily uh, uh, explained to us, is not some kind of new policy. But there's no doubt that in some ways the. White House has had a failure of imagination. Look at what Ukraine has done. Most of the messaging out of the White House has been about all the things they couldn't do or wouldn't do, and the red lines they wouldn't cross. They don't want to get into a direct confrontation with Russia. They don't want to give certain planes or a no-fly zone to Ukraine. But now it's possible that everything is changing there and that Russia maybe can be defeated. Don't forget where we started. Where we started was, Ukraine is going to fall in a matter of days, and all the U.S. and the West can do is make the price to Russia as high as possible. And that's changed.
1: Yeah, Tom. And the White
4: House on... hasn't caught up yet, I don't think, strategically.
1: Yeah, your t- thoughts on this, Tom?
3: Well, I, I disagree with Mark in the sense that, you know, I think this was a, a mistake by the administration. Um you know, if Biden wanted to express moral outrage, he should have expressed moral outrage. I mean, he shouldn't have said that. Uh, you know, this guy can cannot remain in power, and then turn around and basically deny that that's what he said. I mean, he made three mistakes when he went over there. Peter Ducey laid him out yesterday, and Biden said none of those things occurred. It's how you it's how you uh, interpret the language that I was using. I mean, it's just absurd, and I think it's costing him credibility. And uh, I think it's increasing the perception, as we found in this NBC News poll that came out earlier this week, that, that Biden, I think 70% of people don't have faith, uh, you know, don't think he's up to the task of managing a crisis of this scale and scope. And so I think that's a problem for the administration. I think it's a problem uh, you know, for, for the situation. We, we should be working to end this war as soon as we can. America should be leading in that effort. Um, and I don't I, I see the administration while they, while on one hand, tomorrow's point, they're saying things that I think, you know, aren't escalatory, like, you know, the no fly zone resisting calls for that. On the other hand, Biden is turning around and calling Putin a war criminal. Uh, you know, th- those are things that I think are escalatory. They are going to prolong the war. And, and this war, I think, is going to have long term effects that we, you know, that we, we aren't fully aware of at this point. Uh, including economic effects here at home, and so I think for that reason, the administration is not doing itself any favors in the way they've been handling this.
1: Last word on this, Mark. A New Yorker writes that Biden's fate is now inextricably linked to Putin's.
2: I think his his fate is inextricably linked to the to the result in Ukraine. Um, you know, they 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 are they, terrified of, of escalating. They're terrified of uh, provoking Putin. Putin doesn't want a war with NATO. He 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 can't even beat Ukraine. How is he going to beat NATO? He, he, he doesn't want this to escalate uh, because it's not in his interest for it to escalate because he's having he can't even take Kiev. Uh, against against uh, you know uh, Ukrainian forces. So if if you just imagine the damage that was done to President, even if you put aside the geopolitical consideration, the damage that the Afghan disaster did to Biden's credibility. Every number that Tom can tell can tell you this from his from RCP polling. After the Afghan debacle, the floor came out from ev- under him on everything, on the COVID, on everything else, because people decided he was incompetent. If the, the American people have become vested in the fate of Zelensky and his people, they, they have been inspired by him. If Biden allows him to lose or or to accept a unjust peace that results in the partition of his country, uh, that will be a major, major both geopolitical and political defeat for Joe Biden, which he can't afford. He needs to help Ukraine win. And that's We focus on the nine words in the speech that he gave in Warsaw. The missing word was victory. The missing word is we are not going to let this aggression stand. We are going to help the Ukrainian people repel every Russian soldier off the territory of Ukraine and and restore the sovereignty of Ukraine. We're not going to do it with American troops. The Ukrainians are going to do it, but we're going to give them everything they need to achieve that objective. And Putin is going to lose.
1: We'll hear what they have to say after this.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All
1: right, let's turn domestically. Now, uh, the president's budget, Mara, coming out. Um, yeah, And... You know, in there are 36 tax hikes, according to um, the Americans for Tax Reform. And we've kind of gone over these and fact-checked them. They total about $2.5 trillion. There's 11 tax increases on the oil and gas industry at a time when the price of gasoline obviously is at record highs. It also includes increases on businesses that will give the U.S. a higher corporate tax rate. Uh, than number of foreign rivals. If you go down this, um, there are a lot of critics to it. What's the selling point that the administration is making?
4: That this is a budget that Joe Manchin likes. I mean, that's not the public selling point. But right. don't forget, Joe Manchin is somebody who wants to roll back the Trump tax cuts for the wealthy. And uh, Joe Manchin is the key to a deal um that could be made for some of Joe Biden's important domestic priorities. And that's what's uh, driving this budget. Don't forget this budget also calls for funding the police, not defunding the police. And the budget is a kind of reset for Joe Biden. And it's about it's a way to talk about his priorities that the wealthy should pay taxes. Many people who make a lot of money pay zero taxes. This budget is uh, symbolically trying to correct that. But also it's a budget that can form a basis for a deal with Joe
1: Manchin. Tom, it's also in here uh, some of the things that were in Build Back Better that never got off the ground on Capitol Hill. Um, And they're kind of placeholders in here asserting that any new spending will be fully offset, but doesn't say how that's going to happen. So I think there's a lot of vagueness into what we know so
3: far. I agree, and I, I, I hate to be the <laughs> hate to be the the one to disagree with everyone, but I got to disagree with Mara. I don't see this budget as much of a reset at all. I mean, it's a it's a rehash of. I'm not sure tax hikes on the rich is something new and different for Joe Biden, uh, nor is spending more money. The problem for Biden is that he where he needs a reset is he needs to come up with something to deal with the number one issue on the minds of the American public this is why he's suffering politically most. And that is inflation. That is the price of gas, the price of food that people are, are feeling in their everyday lives. And the administration is not doing anything to match the urgency with which the public views that, that issue. I mean, the administration, they should have a task force on inflation. He should name an inflation czar. They should be doing an event every single day outlining what they're doing to battle rising prices, uh, across the country, uh, not just, you know, mouth every, every a platitude every now and then about how, you know, we, well, we know it's, it's hurting people and and the like, I mean, so unless, and until that happens, um, I think Biden's going to, you know, this budget, whatever Supreme court nomination, it's not going to change the political dynamics that's in play right now. And the problem for, for Joe Biden is that he doesn't seem to be able or willing to do the things that would be necessary from a policy perspective to address, as you mentioned, he he shouldn't be raising taxes on oil and gas. He should be trying to, you know, increase domestic production. But he's not going to do that because that would ignite a rebellion on his left flank. And that's something that he can't have heading into an election either.
1: It's an easy talking point to go after billionaires, Mark. Um, But there are some things in here that that are going to affect other people. For example, doubling the capital gains rate to 40.8%. Uh, a second death tax in there. Right now, that's inclusive of the 3.8% Obamacare tax. So let's take a look at somebody in California who deals with capital gains. It would be a tax rate, a capital gains tax rate of 54.1%. If you add the national, the Obamacare, and then the California state tax, that's high for somebody that's getting... you know, some benefit out of selling something and getting a capital gain.
2: A hundred percent. And that's why it's not going to happen. Joe Manchin is going to vote for that. Uh, and uh, Kirsten Cinema, uh, she actually wasn't quite as upset about the spending in Build Back Better. She was upset about the tax hikes. So this is a—they seem to have shifted from massive spending to massive tax hikes. That's not going to win over Cinema's vote. Uh, so look, this is this is a budget that's not going anywhere. Um, and it's and uh, it, it's a—I think Tom's right. It's a failure to reset. Uh, Joe Biden is going to lose at least one house in the midterm elections, and then after that, there's no more. Uh, there's no more reconciliation bills with Democrats only. The, that whole era of, uh, of of his presidency is over. Uh, the worst thing that ever happened to Joe Biden was winning those two Senate seats because it gave him delusions of grandeur that he could be an FD, a new FDR that allowed the progressive wing to, to convince him of that instead of doing what he should have done from the beginning, which is try to make incremental progress in a bipartisan way, reaching out to Republicans and moderate, and, and moderate Democrats and passing things. And... That's going to be of necessity what he has to do come November because there's not going to, the path to unilateralism is over. It's closed. And so rather than rather than, you know, keep pushing for Build Back Better for the next few months, why doesn't he shift now and make it seem like a choice <laughs> instead of yeah. waiting until the voters force it upon him? Uh, that's what yeah. I don't understand strategically.
1: I mean, Mara, as you head into November, it's it, you know, obviously it's advantaged Republicans at this point And. To Mark's point, if you lose one or two chambers, you're going to be a much different presidency anyway.
4: Yes, you're going to be a much different presidency. And what's really interesting about all the polls show no bounce from the State of the Union. That's not unusual. Very few presidents get one. No bounce from uh, Ukraine. It's all focused around inflation. And, um, you know, I don't know if Tom thinks that he can wave a magic wand and cure inflation, Presidents can't do much about inflation. I don't think that suddenly um, you know, trying to convince people to use those 9,000 oil and gas leases that the oil and gas companies are not using right now uh, would, would change things. So he's in a tough position. Every poll that has been published points to a pretty disastrous midterm for his party. And a president's approval rating is a pretty important leading indicator uh, yeah, and everything changes, especially if he loses both houses. If they hang on to the Senate, which I guess is still a possibility, uh, then it's not so, so bad.
1: All right, Tom, last word.
3: Well, let me just respond tomorrow. It's not – I mean we can argue about how much control presidents have over inflation and gas prices and the like. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the perception that the American people have. It's clear to them. It, it's clear in the polling that the biggest issue on their minds is inflation. It's the one that worries them the most. They have the most anxiety over. It. They think it's the most concerning, and the administration is not doing enough to adri- match that urgency. I mean, perception is reality in politics. I think people would give Joe Biden a break if he was, if he was, you know, out there arguing. He's trying to work on this problem every single day. He's not going to rest until he's, you know, fixes it. Um, that's what I'm talking about. He's got a perception problem and a credibility gap on the issue of inflation. Uh, there may not be much he can do in in reality in terms of bringing gas prices down before November or the price of bacon or whatever. But but he at least has to convince the American people that he sees their their he sees their concern and he's matching that with with uh, effort on his part.
4: Well, on that, I agree with you. On that, I agree with you in terms of showing that he's trying, even though he doesn't have a magic wand. I think the White House thinks they've done more of that. And there's probably a lot more room to do more things, even if they're symbolic and performative, because you see all of those endangered Democrats in the House and Senate uh, being in favor of laws to give rebates to people or or lift the gas tax for a brief period. I mean, so, yes, there's probably more he can do on that front.
1: And, Mark, would you put them out with detailed notes and cards that the uh, cameras can see?
2: (laughs) I think we should bring back the whip inflation now, buttons. win.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, panel, thanks so much. Now for a bit of history, an important one for those of us here in the Beltway. March 29th, 1961, the 23rd Amendment to the Constitution was ratified, granting residents of Washington, D.C., the right to vote in presidential elections. The amendment grants the district electors in the Electoral College as if it were a state. However, the district can never have more electors than the smallest state, which is currently Wyoming. So there you go. We're not a state. There's some people who want us to be. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Mara, Tom and Mark, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.
2: I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.